So I became a believer back in uh, New York watching Billy Graham on television. I immediately went to what I knew as my home church, which is a sister to this church, a conservative Baptist church in New York, and uh, was growing in my faith. And I went up to work at a camp uh, for physically and mentally limited children and inner city kids called Camp Hope across the river in Carmel. I think uh, Kathy knows about that. I've mentioned it multiple times. She had worked there. I met my lovely wife there. I also met some other very interesting people. And uh, one was, uh, here I was, freshly rescued. I had been a hippie. And uh, I come into this camp to work. And here's this brother one day talking to other saints in this context of like devotional preparation for our week long of ministry. He's got really long hair. And I cut my hair because I was a Christian after all. (laughs) And uh, he had different theological views than I had heard on some things. I I, I, I don't even want to mention them today. And I'm sitting there wondering, this is how pathetic it can be, right? This guy's a Christian? Uncle Wynn, who was the spiritual mentor of the camp and quite a uh, faith-based prophet, if you will, uh, had Ray Lightcap get up and lead our communion service for our staff one night, and I listened to him pray, and it broke me. And I went, oh boy, I have a few things to learn. We went our separate ways off into ministry. Ray went off into ministry. He'll tell a little about his years in Brewster at a very blessed church ministry. And now he is working for Youth for Christ, which is why the advertising is in your bulletins, only because if he doesn't advertise, they're going to fire him. Uh, But not really. He was asked to join their staff as pastoral care among the staff uh, years ago. And uh, he is, in fact, very much a pastor and very gifted in that regard and has always consistently spoken life into me and has done so again even on this weekend. Uh, He and his wife, Ruth, are here today. They were here for yesterday's uh, seminar on depression, which he speaks out of his own life experience. And also, uh, you may remember, almost two years ago when you installed me as pastor, he was one of the keynote speakers and uh, had a great time. Told you a very effective story about how to save money to have the Disney experience without the expense. Keep your $200 in your pocket, stand with your clothes on in the shower and turn it on and you will experience the water park dimension of Disney. So they all remember, most of them remember that. So it's my privilege today to present uh, Pastor Ray Lightcap as he comes and ministers the word and will probably pay me back for every smart aleck comment he made. Yeah, absolutely. Love you too. Is your microphone on? I hope so. Gonna make sure. Is he on? Go at it. Terrific. Um, It's true. I was here two years ago. Uh, You may notice that since that time I've lost 90 pounds and I've grown a beard. And somebody asked me what that was all about, and I said I went trick or treating as John Hawko. I went with my, uh, my, my grandsons. One was Superman, one was Batman, and I was John Hawko. You see, the difference between a pastor and a superhero is very small. So just understand that. I, uh, I thank you. I want to thank the people that came yesterday. A very uh, special group of people, courageous group of people. Uh, I appreciate the attention that you gave me for two and a half or three hours I met with some people individually. They are very special people that I got to meet with and meet yesterday. So I thank you for the opportunity of doing what uh, Ruth and I shared yesterday, uh, dealing with my battle with depression and how I've had to come to grips with it and deal with it. Uh, I want you to know, if you were here yesterday, that when you look into the a bulletin and see that the sermon is called Getting Out of a Rut. I am not suggesting that you were in a rut yesterday. This applies to anybody, whether you're depressed or not. Now, I have to background by telling you a story. 
The story goes something like this. Uh, I have, I, I told you when I was here two years ago, I'm kind of an odd kind of a duck. Uh, I'm an introvert by nature. I've learned to be uh, extrovert by being a pastor, and it exhausts me. And uh, the other thing that exhausts me or is talking and people, and it just wears me out. And nobody wears me out more than uh, my grandchildren. I love them. I love them. I pray for them. But, you know, I, I have 14 grandchildren. About 15 of them have ADD. <laughs> I mean, they, they're all wired. Well, a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, um, we drove down to Brewster. We live in the Capital District of New York. We drove down to Brewster, and we picked up my two daughters. One is developmentally disabled. The other was physically handicapped and in a wheelchair and not able to do much for herself. Uh, and we brought her a granddaughter, who was about seven or eight at the time, and she was just a wild thing. So I thought, you know, I'm a, I'm a good Christian man. I can handle this for a weekend. And uh, they came up and were sitting, sitting, having dinner. Ruth had made spaghetti. And uh, I said, so uh, when are we taking you guys back? <laughs> and Tanya said, in 10 days. <laughs> and I looked at Ruth, my wife, and she looked down at her spaghetti. <laughs> and I said to myself, 10 days, 10 days. Then I thought to myself, doggone it, I've been to Promise Keepers. I can do this. I'm a Christian man. I'm a Christian father. I'm a Christian grandfather. I can suck it up and do this. And that lasted for about five days. And then it was wearing a little thin. And we came to the following Sunday. And uh, we, were ha- we had to go to church, or uh, that Saturday night we were preparing to go to- for church the next day. And I said to my wife, um, you know, honey, I think uh, you should go to church with the kids alone. I-, I believe God's calling me to have some quiet time by myself. <laughs> and she saw right through that. <laughs> and she said, no, you're going to church with us. I'm not taking them alone. So I got up Sunday morning and had just a little bit of an attitude. My, my two daughters and my granddaughter were kind of demanding. Uh, neither one of them could fix breakfast, breakfast for themselves, so I made some English muffins and dropped one on the floor, jelly side down. You know, you know, how, you know you're having that kind of a morning. And as the morning's going on and they're asking me to do more and more, I'm getting more and more annoyed and irritated. We get down into the car, which is no easy thing because my, my daughter, who is now in heaven and laughing uproariously, uh, my, my, my daughter was, was quite heavy, and it wasn't an easy thing to maneuver the wheelchair and get her in and out of the car, but I did it, and I got the wheelchair in the back of the SUV, and we got everybody in the car, and I took a deep breath. Now, I was not preaching that morning. I took a deep breath and I said, I'm going to turn on some music. And I turned on a CD of country gospel music. Now, you've got to understand, that is God's music. <laughs> now, some of you will disagree with that, but get used to it because when we get to heaven, we're all going to be singing through our nose. Okay? Right? Right? You know, I turn on my CD and they start talking, all, all three of them, at once. I, I assume they were talking to each other, but I don't know because they were all talking at once. So I turned up the CD. And they talked louder. So I turned it up again and they talked louder still. By the time we got to church, which is a scant eight miles away, I was fuming. <laughs> I got them out of the car, I set up the wheelchair, I got Tanya in the wheelchair, and I said to Ruth, I'll meet you inside. (laughs) And I took the car, and I went to the far end of the parking lot, and I just sat there for a little bit. Now, 
since I don't pastor my own church any longer, I don't sit in the front. John sits in the front. Pastor John sits in the front. And, and when I go to speak somewhere, I have to sit in the front. I want you to know I'm a back row Baptist. I go, to, I go to Faith Baptist Church, and I sit as far back as I possibly can. I did up front for 40 years. I'm, I'm sitting in the back. So I walk into church. My family's already seated, second row from the front. I want you to know I always take the aisle seat. My daughter in a wheelchair had the aisle seat. She got herself out of her wheelchair and sat in the aisle seat. I sat down next to her. I open up the bulletin. Now, I'm a groupie for my pastor. Uh, pastor Peter, he's, he's just great, and I love to hear him preach. Open up the bulletin, guest speaker. <laughs> and he's from the Southern Baptist Seminary. So I'm thinking, I'm going to have to hear some guy go, Jesus, you know, and, and I, I don't know if I can deal with this. Then the song leader stands up, and he was about 112 years old. Nice guy, full of enthusiasm, full of joy. I just wasn't getting it. They played the first hymn on the organ. They didn't have a praise band like this. They played the first hymn on the organ, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Now, I, I, I love the words of the hymn. The music is just a little ponderous. And this guy, man, he was getting everything he could out of the organ, and I'm just going, I'm sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. I'm sitting down, and all of a sudden I feel a tap on my shoulder. And it's the chairman of the board of deacons, the board of elders. And he says, Ray, the guest speaker isn't here. Can you preach? <laughs> Right? I felt God go like this. Gotcha! <laughs> so I, I grab my Bible and I follow the elder out to a little room where I am doing business with. Do you know how fast you can repent? <laughs> it takes about an aisle. It takes about an aisle. And here we are, we're in the second row from the front. I'm walking back and I'm saying, Oh, God, oh, God, what am I going to preach about? Oh, God, I'm not on holy ground. Oh, God. And God said to me, why don't you tell people how to get out of a rut? So I go back into this little room, and I'm, I'm praying, and I'm searching through the Bible, and I'm looking for all kinds. Nothing was coming. And I'm sweating bullets. And the elder comes to the door, and he said, the guest speaker just showed up. <laughs> I guess the talk wasn't for that day. It was for you. But I want you to know, before it was for you, it was for me. We're going to look at a slide that has the scripture this morning, but I want to paint a picture for you of the scene. It's on the way in or out of Jericho. And uh, Jesus is there with his disciples, and there's a great crowd of people. Now, when you imagine Jesus walking down the road, you and I, in our 21st century mind, have him walking down McAdam, where there are, or Blacktop, where there are uh, crosswalks and all that kind of thing. We've got to take ourselves back a little bit. These are dirt roads. But they're not dirt roads like you may have a dirt driveway. These are dirt roads where people publicly relieve themselves. These are dirt roads where animals come up and down and they relieve themselves. These are dirty, dusty roads. The buildings are, on, are very close on either side of the road, so it's very crowded and packed in. And we have the crowd. Yeah, could you be a crowd for me for just a minute? I want you all to murmur. Just, just murmur. Oh, man, you're a great crowd. Okay. Hang in there. Keep murmuring. Keep murmuring. Throw the slide up there. Keep, memor keep murmuring. Then they came to Jericho. Just as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city... A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. 
When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. Jesus stopped and said, So they called to the blind man and said, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go. Said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. What a great story of somebody in need. Can we go to slide two, please? I want to suggest to you a couple of things that I learned, I gleaned from this story. And uh, I, had, um, I had a whole sermon that was worked out, and, and I lost it. I, I can't find it anywhere. I did preach it once before, but I can't find it anywhere. So I redid it, and um, I, I pulled it out this morning, and God said, put it away. You can use the bullet points, but you can't use any of the other things that you do. Just listen to me. So you pray for me right now that I hear God, because if I hear God, you'll hear God. And you pray that God will open your heart, and I'm praying. I've been praying since he told me to put my notes away. I've been praying that he would open my heart. The first thing I learned about Bartimaeus was you got to be honest about your situation. I've got to be honest about my situation. What was Bartimaeus doing? Bartimaeus had probably been blind from birth. Blindness was something that happened all over the Mideast at that time. There were all kinds of afflictions because there was no modern medicine to treat them. And people who were who were uh, infirmed or crippled or blind, had little choice other than to beg. Bartimaeus was honest about his situation. He was out in the crowd with his cup, I imagine, looking for something in the way of help or financial help from the crowd that was around him. He could have stayed home. He could, maybe the people at home wouldn't let him stay home. He could, have, he could have sat back and said, oh, I just, I, I feel sorry for myself. You know, we live in, a, in an age of victimization. Everybody's a victim. Everybody feels sorry for themselves. I, uh, Ruth and I worked for, for years, up until uh, a few years ago, with teenage moms in uh, the inner city of Schenectady. And I, I learned very quickly, we learned very quickly, that there was a, a culture a culture of entitlement. I'm a victim and somebody's got to take care of me. We, we took one of those gals into our home. She was, she was homeless at the age of 18 with a three-year-old child. And we took her into our home and I said to her one day, you're going to have to make a decision whether you're going to be an entitlement person or a self-determination person. Someone who decides that they are not going to be a victim but who decides that they're going to be an overcomer that they're going to do what God calls them to do and recognize and take serious account of their situation. I would ask you this morning, where are you? What is the situation that you are going through? Where are you with God? About once a year, uh, usually around the new year, Ruth and I will stop and we'll talk about our marriage relationship. We've been married for 45 years. And we, we say, and some of those years have been very hard. We've lost a daughter. We've seen a son get a divorce, and that was very painful for our family. Uh, we have grandchildren that we seldom get to see. We have, uh, my wife has been sick for the last two years. She had a stroke, couldn't speak. God gave her her voice back. She wound up being in the hospital in the nursing home for 125 days in the last two years. I mean, life came at us, and we looked at it in January, and we said, this has been the best year of our life. It has been the hardest year of our life, but we know that we are right, right smack where God wants us to be. When I was sitting in the hospital, and long story short, my wife was diagnosed with acute onset dementia by five neurologists. 
Okay? I want you to know that doesn't go away. She's here this morning. You wouldn't know because it went away. But she would, she would sit in the hospital room and she would just act in, a, in the most bizarre manner. She had one-on-one care in a hospital because they couldn't leave her alone. It was exhausting. And I would sit there with her and she would say the most outrageous things. And I want you to know, I was good because I knew I was right where I was supposed to be. So evaluate your situation and be honest about it. I was looking and the doctors told me, say goodbye to your wife, it's only going to get worse. You won't know her in a couple of months. She won't know you. You know me, baby? Yep, okay. (laughs) And I had to accept that, or I did accept that. A lot of other people didn't. A lot of other people were praying that she would be healed, and she has been. But we've got to be honest about our situation. I have to be honest about my walk with God. Are you honest about your walk with God? We stop and evaluate our marriage relationship. I want you to know I stop regularly and we need to stop regularly and evaluate our situation with God. Am I where I want to be? Am I where God wants me to be with Him? Second thing, assume responsibility for yourself. Don't assume that somebody else is going to take care of you or somebody else is going to fix you. I love Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Why does he, why does he do it? Because nobody else was helping him. Assume responsibility for yourself. We, we, again, we, we are into blaming. We, we, we blame everybody for everything that goes wrong. I, 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 I got to tell you, I've stopped listening to the news. The left blames the right in the most vile terms, and the right blames the left in the most vile terms. And, you know, everybody's got an excuse for why they lost or why they won. And, and nobody seems to want to assume responsibility for themselves, or in our case, for the well-being of the country. And so I'm saying to us, we need to take stock be honest about our situation, and then say, God, you and I have got to do business. That's a term my father used to use, a very godly man. He was not a pastor. Worked in the automobile industry. And he would talk about doing business with God. And he would go before God morning after morning, and I would see him with his eyes closed, and he would be praying, and he'd be reading the word. And he was assuming responsibility for himself day in and day out. God wants you to assume responsibility for yourself. You are not your pastor's responsibility. You are not your husband's responsibility, your wife's responsibility. You are not your parents' responsibility. You are not your kids' responsibility. You are your responsibility. Now, we are all called to help one another, right? Serve one another, love one another, but I assume responsibility for myself. Do you know when my wife was in the worst state, she, would, she was walking around the halls of the hospital singing, Be Still and Know That I Am God. And she wasn't singing it in a small voice. <laughs> At one point, they put her in a bed that had an alarm so she couldn't get out. And she's singing, Be Still and Know That I Am God. I am the Lord that healeth thee. And she was saying to herself, she remembers saying to herself, God, I know I'm not right, but you've got to make me right. Please make me right. That's another thing about dementia. You don't remember what happened. She didn't have dementia. Assume responsibility for yourself. Don't worry about what other people are going to say. There are always going to be people who will try to discourage you. Because if they can discourage you, they kind of get an out for themselves. If I, if I can get you to compromise, that kind of gives me the freedom to compromise. So if you say today, I'm going to go all out for Jesus, and your spouse says, oh, come on, we've been down that route. <laughs> Don't listen to them. Have a conversation with them. But, but don't worry about what other people are going to say. 
We, we are, by human nature, people pleasers, many of us. And, and in a church this size, and I don't know this church at all, I met some wonderful people yesterday, there are people that worry about what other people are going to say. Let me in on a secret. They're criticizing you. Uh, okay, you don't believe me. If you've never criticized, if you have ever criticized somebody, if you have ever criticized somebody, raise your hand. Okay, put your hands down. If you have ever criticized somebody in this church, raise your hand. Woo-wee! Okay. If you have ever criticized the pastor, leave. <laughs> now, if you have ever criticized your congregation, stand up. <laughs> It's, it's human nature. But I got to worry about what God is saying in his revealed word. I want to I listen to God. I don't want to hear the voices. There, there are crazy voices in, in the world. They sing and shout and they bombard me. I, I, can't, I, I like to watch football. Uh, I can't watch a football game without voices trying to persuade me to buy something or lately talking politics I turned on the game to escape you know amen yeah big escape I'm a, I'm a Jets fan don't worry about what others say don't worry about what others say what does God say and when you know what God says, when you know and I know what God tells me to do, I have to do something bold and decisive. I have to step out in faith. Don't you love the great stories in the Bible of faith? The children of Israel come up to the, to the Red Sea and the, the waters split. The, the, um, they come to the Jordan River and the waters split. Elijah tells the widow... Uh, you know, do this with the oil and, and the flour. And, and God works a miracle. Jesus tells a blind man, after putting mud on his eyes, go and, go and uh, wash and, you, and you'll see. And, and what does he say to, to Bartimaeus? Uh, your faith has healed you. Do something bold and decisive. That's what Bartimaeus did. He didn't listen to the, 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 the voices of other people. He didn't listen to the people who told him, be quiet. He shouted louder. And he jumped up. He threw off his cloak. And he moved toward Jesus. Now before, uh, again, while you're imagining, put yourself back there. He's blind. And he comes toward Jesus. He's, he's, I can imagine he's like this. I do not mean to make fun. I mean, this was not easy. It was not easy to navigate a crowd. It was not easy to make your way through the crowd. It was not easy to make the point of, of Jesus, I need help. But he did it. What's God calling you to do? Maybe God is calling you to, to do something with his word. You know, my suspicion is, and this is after 50 years of being a child of God, and listening to the voice of God. God is not asking you to do something big. God, God makes the big things very obvious. What God is asking you to do is the dishes. What God is asking you to do is the wash. What God is asking you to do is turn your attitude around. What God is asking you to do is to be a servant. What God is asking you to do is to be broken before him. And, and what God was asking Bartimaeus to do was to call out and cry out to Jesus. And we need to cry out to Jesus and say, God, what are the little things that I'm missing? I had a friend, he later became an elder, led him to faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, he had a problem with alcohol. And um, he called me up one night. And he was drunk. He called me from a phone booth, for those of you who remember phone booths. <laughs> he called me from a phone booth, and he, he was just, I mean, he was really hammered, and um, his conversation was slurred, and he wasn't making a lot of sense. 
And he said, and I'm listening to him and I'm talking to him. And he says, Ray, I really want to do something great for God. I want to be like an apostle. I said, Sal, there's not much call for drunk apostles. <laughs> he never had another drink. Never had another drink. He did something bold and decisive. Clarify your need. Jesus says, what do you want from me? Now, why does Jesus ask that question? Bartimaeus hadn't said anything about his sight. He was just saying, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus was a beggar. Now, Bartimaeus had some thinking to do. He had some clarification to make. Do I want two bucks in my cup from Jesus? Do I want Jesus to ask the crowd to be generous for my begging? Jesus will ask you, do you really need my help? And then he will ask you, do you really want my help? And then he will ask you, will you do whatever I tell you? And that's where the need is clarified. And then we need to believe that Jesus can change our life. Jesus is a life changer. You, there are people in this room who are born again, who have yielded their life to Jesus Christ, are followers of Jesus, and there are people in, in a crowd this size who are not. You know, God bless you both. But I want you to know that whether you have not yielded your life and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ or whether you have, things haven't changed. God wants to change you. I have walked with God for 50 years this last August or September. 50 years. I pastored a big church, I worked for Youth for Christ. I've been in the ministry for 40... Well, the... Three days after I gave my life to Christ, I preached my first uh, uh, message for young life. And then, you know, God led me to seminary and all these other things. So I've been in ministry for close to 50 years. I want you to know God still wants to change me. I, I, have, my, I have an aunt, had an aunt. She lived to be 100 I was talking to her on her, like, 98th birthday. She was sharp as a tack till the day she died. I talked to her, like, around the time of her 98th birthday. And I called her, and she said, Oh, Raymond, I can't talk to you right now. Uh, the girls are coming over for Bible study. I said, The girls? I said, What are you doing, discipling 80-year-olds? What are you, you know, you live in a home, you know, a nursing home or a, a retirement home. And she said, oh, she said, uh, I'll, I'll call you back. Or call me back. So I called her back in about an hour and a half, and she said, they're still here. I'll call you. So she calls me back. Now three hours has elapsed. And I said, Ann Ethel, i got to ask you, what are you doing? And she said, oh, we get together, and we open up with prayer. And we talk to talk to God and we pray for one another and we pray for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. And then we study the Word. I said, what? Now, this lady had read the Word many times. I said, what are you studying? She gave her life to Christ when she was eight years old. Ninety years she's been studying the Word. I said, what are you studying? She said, we're going through the Gospel of John. I'm trying to understand what changes God wants to make in my life. I said, you are my hero. We're never done until we're done. God is still changing us. Jesus still wants to change me, and he wants me to believe that he can change me. I wake up this morning and uh, i got a sermon all written out and prepared and I can't preach it. He wants to change me. He wants to teach me trust. I, I tend to be a little myopic and, and, you know, a little grumpy until I have my coffee. And I walk into the elevator and there are two teenagers there. He wants me to be sociable. 
and to speak to them a word about the fact that I've been married for 45 years to the same woman and never cheated. You know, it, and it just came very easily. It, I didn't say those words, but I planted a seed. I want you to know God wants to change me. God wants to change you. I don't care who you are. I know this for a fact. God wants to change you. What did the Apostle Paul say? I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. I don't experience the resurrection life unless I am crucified daily to Jesus Christ. We all love that verse. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And we never read the next verse. For those he foreknew, he also uh, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the change he wants to make. He wants me to be more like Jesus. He wants you to look more like Jesus. He wants my wife to look more like Jesus. I've watched my wife change over the last few years since she's been sick, and I am blown away by the changes God has done in her by, by just uh, her yielding to him and him conforming her into his image, and, he, and he's not done. She won't let him be done. I won't let him be done. Don't you let him be done. He won't be done. We book out. We, we, we leave the, the scene. We are the people that Jesus came to and said, you have a form of godliness, but you deny the power thereof. Amen. We are the people who said to Moses, you go speak to God. We're not going to speak to him. We might die. Yeah, you might. That's the point. We're to die to self. I told you two years ago that Jesus came not only to comfort the troubled, but he came to trouble the comfortable. He came to trouble the comfortable. Who were the comfortable? The, the religious establishment were comfortable. The fishermen were comfortable. Man, they were so comfortable that after Jesus died and rose again, they went back to fishing. And Jesus had to say, don't you love me more than the fish? The, the, he said to the, the religious leader, said, we're comfortable, we're children of Abraham. Jesus said, no, you're children of the devil. Your father, the devil. I know this. And I don't have to know anything about your church. God wants to change this church. How many of you have been here more than 20 years? God wants to change you. How many of you have been here less than 20 years? God wants to change you. John, God wants to change you. God wants you to be a changed pastor. Worship team. Where's the worship team? Where's your hands? You guys were great. Thank you. I was blessed. God wants to change you. I'm telling you, God wants to change you. He wants a new worship team up there every Sunday. He doesn't want you to be the same worship team Sunday after Sunday. He wants leadership here that's changing regularly. He doesn't want people who are setting, sitting on their laurels he, doesn't want he wants people who believe that Jesus can change their lives at the configurative level into something that is wonderful. And we, Paul says, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being, listen to this, transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's what he wants to do in your life. That's what he wants to do in my life. And I believe that he can do it in me and I believe that he can do it in you because he's been doing it for 2,000 years in the lives of people who are broken and yielded and willing to die to self and live for him. Watch what Jesus could do. I have been privileged. Working with Youth for Christ has, has just been an amazing experience for me. Um, when I came 
15 years ago to the Youth for Christ in Capital District. 15 years ago, I was the, the pastor to the staff, and my son was working for the City Life Program. Now my son is my boss. He's the executive director. And I have watched what Jesus has done in his life. You know, I prayed for my boys this prayer. God, let their passion for you exceed mine. I'm pretty passionate about God. I hope that's come through. I want you to know, my son Andy is more passionate for God than I am. He, he, he prays circles around me. He walks, he walks around the facility. We have a 25,000 square foot facility. Bring your young people up, okay? We have a climbing gym, indoor climbing gym. It's spectacular. He walks around the climbing gym every day because we have like 10,000 people that come through there in a year. Most of whom are not believers. And he goes through there pleading the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ because he knows what Jesus can do. He goes into the gymnasium where we have indoor soccer and where we have club meetings and where we have basketball. And, he's, and, he, and he prays and pleads the blood of Jesus. He walks through the offices. He walks through the cafe. And he prays. I'm telling you, God has done amazing things in the last two years. We haven't even talked about it. God, we have seen more kids come to faith in Christ. We have seen more kids coming to our program. We have seen debt. We, when, when two years ago, or two and a half years ago, we were uh, like uh, $1.8 million in debt with a mortgage on our building. It's gone. Mortgage is gone. We had $100,000 on a line of credit. It's gone. We had $30,000 on a credit card. It's gone. We don't do credit cards anymore. We had a boiler. A boiler in our older building that, that stopped working. We got an estimate. It was, it was put in in 1950. Okay? We got an estimate to replace it of $30,000. On the way out the door, the plumber says to my son, you ought to check with your insurance company. Maybe they'll do something. On a, 50, on a 60-year-old boiler? Who knew that we had a rider on the insurance for that building for the boiler? <laughs> and they came and looked at it and said, no, this is not normal wear and tear. This is an accident. And they wrote out a check within a week for $28,000. I'm telling you, watch what Jesus will do. I met with some great people yesterday who have children who have wandered away from God. I've got, I've got one. I don't know where she is now. She's, she's in law school. I mean, I know where she is. She's in law school. But I don't know where she is with Jesus because her head's getting full of a lot of stuff that's nonsense. I'll tell you, I pray. I got a niece that um, is, is a muckety-muck in um, uh, the Apple Corporation. She's as liberal and as lost as the day is gone. I'm praying what Jesus is going to do for her. I'm, uh, Jesus, I want to see what you're going to do. And I'm going to watch. And then I'm going to give him glory. I'm going to follow Jesus with gratitude. Bartimaeus followed Jesus. We are here today for one of two reasons. We are either here because we are followers of Jesus or two, we are exploring the possibility of following Jesus. Welcome to all of you. But it's time for a change. If you are a follower of Jesus, be grateful for all the wonderful things he has done and say, Lord, change me. If you're here today and you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you haven't, you haven't said, yes, I believe you died for my sins, and I'm going to be your follower, say, Jesus, change me. I accept you as my Savior. I'm going to pray for you in just a minute, but I want you to be thinking. I'm going to 
I'm going to wait. John said I could go till 11.30. Clock says 12.20. I guess it's because you didn't turn it back. <laughs> either that or you're playing games with me. But I, I, either, that, either that or I am really good and you are really patient. <laughs> um, let me ask you to just be quiet for about a minute and consider, or just, just ask, you were great at murmuring. <laughs> Just ask, God, where do you want me to change? What do you want me to change? How do you want me to change? Just ask him that. The scripture says in Ecclesiastes, it's a foolish thing to make a rash vow in the house of the Lord. So you think very hard before you respond to this. If you want God to change you, stand up. I thank you for these folks. Lord, I appreciate so much the attention that they gave me and you this morning. I thank you for your word and your words. I thank you for Bartimaeus. I thank you for the crowd, even though they didn't believe and they wanted them to go away because they serve as an example to us. But most of all, Father God, I thank you for Jesus. Jesus said, call him, and he's called these folks that are standing here. Cheer up, Jesus. The crowd said, on your feet, he's calling you. And you're calling many here. God, let this not be some bogus action on our part. Let this be real and life-changing, life-transforming, family-transforming, church-transforming, community-transforming stance that we're taking today. The people of God said, I would like to pray a prayer of blessing on this church. I want to thank you for having me yesterday and today and my wife. I want to thank Pastor John and Sherry. I want to thank Jody who worked very hard to make this weekend an ease for us. I want to thank you for your very welcoming spirit. You are good people and God bless you. Father, I pray for the folks that are here today from Harmony Baptist Church. There are some that are believers and some that are searchers. But I believe that they are people who love the fact that they can come here and hear the truth. Lord, you said in your word, sanctify your followers by your truth. Your word is truth. And I pray, Lord, that the people who are here in this church, the pastor, the pastors, the, the leaders, the followers. We need good followers, God. Let them be sanctified and three, freed through the truth of your word and by yielding to your word. God, protect this flock from the evil one. There are people here who have seen the ravages of Satan. We come against Satan in the strong name of Jesus. And he has no place here. Let your angels of protection stand guard at each door. At each, in each door of the, of the schoolhouse. In each corner of this place. Let your angels of protection stand. Let your Holy Spirit hover upon this, this sanctuary Sunday after Sunday. 
prayer meeting after prayer meeting, event after event. Let this be a place where people come in and say, something different is happening here. Let these be a people who truly love and serve one another. We are, God, we are in a selfish generation. Everybody's looking out for themselves. And you say, this was the way people will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another, if you serve one another. And I pray that, that Harmony Baptist Church would be a church of love and service and that it would be known throughout the community, not for its preacher, not for its music, not for its school, but that it would be known for its love and its service in each of those. I pray, Lord, for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You said in your high priestly prayer, Jesus, that we might be one as you are and the Father are one. And I'd ask, Lord, that you would make this body be knit together in the Holy Spirit of God, the grace and love and mercy of Jesus Christ and service of Jesus Christ. I pray that each person here would be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Lord, I have walked with you 50 years. I'm going to follow you in this walk. And I want you to grow me and change me. And I want that for these people. Some of these dear folks are my age. Some of these dear folks are older than me. Some are younger. Each one of us needs to say, make me a disciple. And Lord, let me make disciples. I pray, Lord, that this church would be devoted to the Word, to prayer, to fellowship, to continuing in worship and ministry, and especially in evangelism. I pray, you said to, the, to, um, uh, to Philemon, that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you may understand every good thing we have in God the Father. And that's what I want for these people. So God, pour out your richest blessing in the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the people said, Amen. Amen. I will, um, I understand I closed the service, right? Okay, I got my instructions right. I'm a, you know, I could go to the back door and you could tell me what a great sermon. Um, I, uh, I would like to stay up here. And if you would like to pray about a particular change, John, I'd invite you up here. Ruth, I'd invite you up here. Um, Jean, come on up here. And pray with people who want to change. John, if there's anybody else you want to call up for prayer. I, pastoral staff, okay. And you just meet one of these folks, me or one of these other folks, and say, I want to change this. And they will pray, and we will pray, believing that God is going to change you, just like he's going to change me. God bless you. Thank you so much.